How observant we are, or even how spiritual we are, is not nearly as relevant as how much we reach out, touch and care for the next person. We're going to see that that's what happened to Ruven Yaakov's son and how he lost a tremendous amount of prestige because he didn't get this right, whereas his brother Yehuda did. You're going to see this from Rashi because if Ruven Bechiri Ata Gomer commenting on the passage where Yaakov Avinu says to Ruven, you're my firstborn, yes, it's yes, it's you have greater prestige and greater power, but because you were as unstable as water, so therefore you didn't get all these benefits. It's Rashi, even for Rashi, Rashi explains the following words. Yes, it's means, that you deserved to be one up on your brothers as a Kohen, and it relates to the idea of the Kohanim raising their hands to bless the Jewish people during Duchen. But yes, so always to have additional strength. That's Bemalchus, that you should have been a king. So why did you lose them? Because you were unstable. It's your urgency, your impulsivity, and your anger that you wanted to step in when your father had made a decision. Therefore, Altesar. You're not going to have those benefits. Rashi, you don't get all these added um, accolades or titles that were really um, deserving for you. Now the Targum Fatayich the Pasuk, if you have a look in Targum Unklas, he explains the Pasuk a little differently. You really deserve three portions. Rosa to be the firstborn. Kuhunasa to be a koin, Malchusa to be the king. According to the Targum, there are three titles or values that Reuven should have had. And the way that the Targum says it, he lost all three of them. And the Midrashim say the same thing. So we have one view that says that Reuven lost three titles. And Rashi, who seems to say that he only lost two. Two titles. So in that case, we have to understand. Seeing as the Pasuk also speaks about Ruven being the firstborn, that's how the Pasuk begins. So how does Rashi know then that the only two of the three titles that Ruven lost were Kahuna and Malchus? Why does Rashi not believe that he also lost his rights to being the firstborn? Because that is discussed in the Pasuk. Especially when you consider logically that it's because Ruvain is the firstborn. That's why we would have thought he should be the queen and he should be the king. Let's definitely not make the mistake of thinking that Rashi wants us to believe that in Pshat of the, of the story, Ruven doesn't lose his firstborn rights, because that's definitely not the case. For him, says, because there's a clear passage much later on in Divrei Hayomim, which says, the, so it's telling us the descendants of Reuben who was the firstborn. And then it says, When he interfered with his father's sleeping arrangements, That Bechari was then given to Yosef's children, which is why Yosef has double, two Shvatim as compared to everybody else. So you cannot say that Rashi doesn't believe Reuben loses his Bechari because it's in the Pasuk. The fact is Rashi himself actually says it on two occasions. A little bit earlier, Rashi quotes, at least one of the Pirushim that he quotes, that the additional gift that Yaakov gives to Yosef, who is the rights of being the firstborn, and that means practically, which is why his sons get two portions of the tribes of Israel, because the Bechor gets two portions.
And even before that, in Achfrir and Pashas Vayishlach, even earlier in Pashas Vayishlach, is Rashi Mephorish. Rashi explains, Bechor Yaakov, when Reuven is described as the firstborn of Yaakov, that means that he was first in line to get inheritance. He was first in line to serve in the Beis HaMikdash. And the first to be counted. And the fact that the firstborn rights were given to Yosef only affects how many Shvatim Yosef gets to have the so-called double portion. But either way, Rashi himself acknowledges that the Bechorah was taken from Ruven, at least in one area of what being firstborn represents. And the reason being to leave Vayishkab Goyma because he interfered with his father's sleeping arrangements on Zizgigeb and Givaran to Yosef. And it was given to Yosef. So we should not make the mistake of thinking that the reason Rashi only quotes two things that were taken from, Yos- from Ruven is because he believes the firstborn rights were not taken. That's definitely not the case. So why does he focus on these two? Ah, maybe it's because these are the additional things that were given to him besides his biological position in the family being the firstborn. So maybe we'll answer because the Pasuk says specifically that Yaakov told Reuven, you're not going to get the extras. Which of course is in the context of the things that Ruvain loses. So maybe Al Tisar is telling us those things in the Pasuk that are described with a word of addition. Yes, says extra privilege. Yes, is an extra strength, which is Kahuna un Malchus. Whereas the rights to being a firstborn was very nitem on Deloshin Yeser, where the Torah does not talk about it as something extra or additional, is in it and von Al Maybe that's not included in what the Torah says. Ruvain loses. Okay, so let's say that. So you've got wording in the Pasuk that helps us to verify how Rashi explains the Pasuk. That this Pasuk is not specifying that Ruvain loses his rights to be the firstborn. So let's say we've now defended the words in the Pasuk, which in turn help us understand what Rashi is saying. But we haven't explained why that would be. What is fundamentally different between being the firstborn and being the one selected as a Koyan or the one selected as a king? So fine, so Al Toisar means this Pasuk is only speaking about Ruvain losing the rights to be a king and the right to be a, a Koyen. Fine. Why? Why does the Pasuk distinguish that from being a Bechor? There must be a fundamental difference between what it means to be a firstborn and what it means to be a Koyen or a king. And once we discover that difference, we'll be able to answer these questions. In order to discover that difference, let's look at the person who did get to become a king, Yehuda, and see the, the Brocha that Yaakov gives to him because it has an intriguing little ambiguity about it. Vaita, later on, if Impasa Gurario Yehuda, commenting the Pasuk that says that Yehuda is like a lion, Kav, Miteref Bini Alisa, Vagoyim. I'm not going to translate those words just yet because you'll see. Taich Rashi, Rashi explains, Miteref, from, Teref means to rip something apart, like to hunt an animal and, and to savage an animal. So, Mima Shechashadatichal, Betaroif Teref Yosef. So what's Yaakov saying? Because I suspected you, Yehuda, that you were responsible for Yosef Chasfron being killed, and thinking that he had been ripped up like by an animal, which is metaphoric for you, Yehuda, who is compared to a lion. Turns out, you lifted yourself out of that suspicion. 
You actually removed yourself from having anything to do with killing Yosef because you were the one who said, what's the value in killing him? Vechain says Rashi Barigas Tomar. Also, there was another time that you elevated yourself out of suspicion, and that was when you acknowledged that Tamar was pregnant because of you. That he acknowledged, yes, she's correct, and the child is from me. So, Davin Fashain, there's a few things about this Rashi that we have to understand. Firstly, the fact that Rashi adds, in addition to the fact that Yehuda was the one who tried to save Yosef from being killed, he also brings up the story of Tamar. Where does Rashi put that? He splits the explanation, says Miteref. That means the potential murder of Yosef, which didn't actually happen. And then Bani Alisa, that's when he speaks about Tamar. That implies, It sounds like the Bini Alisa, the fact that Yosef extricated himself out of suspicion, is not directly linked to the word Miteref. It sounds like it's not that we're focused on the possibility of killing Tamar. There's a possibility of killing Yosef, and Yehuda is not involved in that because he's the one who said, what's the value in killing him? But in spite of the fact that he saves Tamar from being killed, Rashi doesn't link it specifically to the word miteref, which means to kill. The Midrash does make that link. The Midrash does say miteref means from killing uh, Tamar. Rashi links the story of Tamar only to the words Bini Alisa. That when it says that you lifted yourself out of the suspicion, it not only refers to the suspicion of having killed Yosef, but also the suspicion that you may have brought Tamar to die. So why? Why does Rashi do that? Isn't it? Move on. Look at the Pasuk. Those three words go in direct sequence. So how does Rashi split them apart and explain them almost as if they're independent? That Bini Alisa is talking about two scenarios, historical events that happened. Whereas Miteref, which is the word that leads into that, is only referring to one scenario, the scenario of Yehuda saving Yosef's life. Doesn't make sense. Why is Rashi splitting it in such a strange way? Another thing that doesn't really seem to make sense over here is where in the simple understanding of the Pasuk do we feel the pressure to describe as mitolisa hot Yaakov gemeint that when Yaakov says the word alisa you lifted yourself up is neat no dem chshad von taref taref Yosef it's not only referring to Yehuda saving Yosef's life no oich von arigos tamar but it's also saving tamar's life vorem rashi zok neat via medrash as das ein zwei pirushim no is Moshe falsa hemshach vichein barigos tamar Rashi doesn't even say that there's two different explanations one explanation is that he saved Yosef's life a different explanation is that he saved Tamar's life Rashi doesn't say that Rashi says it is the fact that he saved Yosef's life and the fact that he saved Tamar's life. So how does Tamar get into the picture over here? Where in the Pasuk would you think that we're talking about Tamar? So, so to address the first question, which is why are we only relating Tamar to the, to the words Bani Alisa and not to the word Miteref? So in order to understand that, we could say this. The truth is, Rashi wants us to know that the word miteref, saving someone from death, applies equally to the story of Yehuda saving Yosef as it does to Yehuda saving Tamar. 
Oh, and those was a shayt v'chem b'al gestomar v'chulei shnochem pirushayf b'nei alisa. The fact that he only mentions Tomar for the first time when he's already into the second Rashi, commenting on the words b'nei alisa, is k'day tzvavon and v'yazeh meterev ken mein and agas tamar. Because without that, we wouldn't know how the word meterev could apply to tamar. Okay, let's understand this. Zavahaktam. In order to understand this, we have to realize that how you punctuate those three words could make a massive difference into how, in, in terms of how you interpret those words. There are two possibilities of how you should translate that message, that phrase. Aleph one is Beni One way is I could say From the potential murder of my son, Alisa, you lifted yourself and you weren't involved in that. In other words, Miterev Beni Yosef. Alisa Yehuda. You, Yehuda, were extricated out of the, pl- the plot against Yosef. That's one way to read it. So you're punctuating Miterev Beni as one concept and Alisa as the next concept. Or Beis Beni Batsitzach to Alisa. Or you could say, no, Miterev is a standalone word and Beni Alisa go together. Which means Miterev, there's a concept of potentially killing somebody. Beni Alisa hos du mainzun Yehuda ilagiven. That was a scenario that you, Masan Yehuda, got out of. Now we don't know which way we're supposed to read the Pasuk. How we're supposed to breathe. How we're supposed to punctuate. If we go the first opinion that it's, or the first possibility, Miterev Beni. Then obviously, Miterev Beni is only talking about the scenario of Yosef potentially being killed, and it has nothing to do with Tamar. So I don't know which way I'm supposed to read it when I just see those words, Miterev Beni Alisa. On the river, therefore, before Rashi can get into the conversation about which scenarios of Yehuda saving lives are we referring to, is it only Yosef or is it also Tamar? Before he can get into that, he first has to contextualize the phrase Beni Alisa. Those two words go together. Not Miterev Beni, but Beni Alisa go together. Which is why the headline that Rashi uses for his second interpretation is not just the word Alisa, which ostensibly is the word he's trying to explain. What does it mean you lifted yourself? But he says Beni Alisa because he's actually telling us in what context. If all Rashi wanted to tell us is that Yehuda lifted himself out of a difficult situation, the word Alisa is enough of a heading. It's only when you put Bini Alisa together. And now you illustrate that we're talking about a concept of Miteref, where there was a potential of somebody being killed. And Yehuda pulled himself out of that scenario, now that I know that's how you read the Pasuk, then I can understand that it means Bini Alisa, oh sorry, that Miteref could mean two possible cases of killing somebody, not only the obvious Yosef, but even the less obvious Tamar. Now, how does Rashi know for sure that this is the way to read the Pasuk? How does he know it's not Miterev Bini? How does he know it's Bini Alisa? So to that, we have to think about the context. What's Yaakov trying to do at this particular point in time? The whole purpose and direction of Yaakov's conversation at this point is to praise Yehuda, especially considering what he had already said to Reuven, Shimon and Levi, where Yehuda was a bit concerned. So I already know Miteref, if he's praising Yosef, sorry, if he's praising Yehuda of, over Miteref, over the fact that somebody wasn't killed because of him, we know that that's Yosef. That's quite obvious to us. 
Because the word mi teref is a word that relates to the story Torah Torah Yosef, which is exactly what it says. So, if you're saying miteref beni, if that's how I'm supposed to read the, the words, then I'm not giving, I'm not saying Yaakov give Yehuda this incredible accolade or, or gratitude or blessing. In fact, it could actually diminish how great Yehuda's behavior was because you could argue, only because that scenario was such a dramatic scenario, the potential ripping to shreds of Yaakov's own son, which is Yehuda's brother, and that's why Yehuda stood back. I don't know that Yaakov is saying, wow, you're an amazing person just because of that. Therefore, Rashi says, well, if there's great praise heaped upon Yehuda over here, it must be that there's something else that he did. In addition to the fairly obvious, saving his own brother from death, it must be something else. And if there's something else, then I have to read the Pasuk in a way that suits that. So, Miteref, Beni Olisa. Okay, but we still have a question. So now we know that Miteref could also mean that he prevented Tamar from being killed. That's what it could mean. How do we know it is definitely what it means? How does Rashi know for certain that Miteref actually refers to two independent scenarios, saving Yosef and saving Tamar? Especially considering that the word Teref does appear in context of Yosef. And it does not appear in the context of Tamar. So how do I know? How do I know that this is the correct way to explain it? So in order to understand that, we're going to go into an analysis, a very interesting analysis of why does Ruvain lose everything and Yehuda gain so much attention if apparently Ruvain actually behaved in a more impressive way than Yehuda. So we have to address an overarching, puzzling element of the whole story. The greatness of being a king, which was taken from Ruvain, or and given to Yehuda via state in Divrei Yomim, as the passing in Divrei Yomim tells us clearly, that Yehuda, so to speak, overrode or overcame his brothers and became a, a king over them. And that's what Yaakov Avinu is referring to over here, where he says that Yehudu is going to be like this lion cub. On Virash is forest. The Rashi explains that that refers to being a king. Which was given to him, as Rashi says over there, David So the question is why. So here, in the way Yaakov speaks to Yehuda, when he tells him that he's going to be the father of kings, he actually tells him why. The reason is Alisa, because he saved people from death. Rashi, when he explains Alisa, refers to these two scenarios of saving Yosef and saving Tamar. So what does he say straight after? Therefore, you'll become this great leader, this king. There's this overarching, puzzling question of you. It just really doesn't seem to make sense. The greatness of What's the greatness of Yehuda? Yaakov says, I suspected that you were involved in, in, in Hasran killing uh, Yosef. 
And actually, that wasn't true. How was it not true? Because you're the one who said, what's the value in killing our brother? It's done given by Reuven. Reuven had the same kind of involvement in the same story. Go back to Parashas Vayeshev. Vita itself in Parashas Vayeshev. It describes in Parashas Vayeshev. As Reuven not gizok loyna kenonofesh. Reuven was the one who first said, let's not kill him. Exactly like Yehuda. And the second greatness that's attributed to Yehuda, which is that he acknowledged that he was involved with Tamar and therefore she shouldn't be killed. And we find a very similar thing by Reuven. That he did Tshuva, which includes obviously confessing that he had done wrong over the fact that he moved his father's bed. Rashi tells us in Parashas Vayeshev, Reuven wasn't even present at the time that they sold Yosef. Why not? At least according to the second opinion. He was busy in the process of this very extreme tshuva that he underwent because of the fact that he interfered with his father's family life. So Reuven and Yehuda both seem to have the same things in common. But yet Reuven loses everything and Yehuda gets to be the king. Why? The truth is, when you think about it, Reuven actually seems to be better than Yehuda at both of these things. Look at it this way. Aleph. The fact that Yehuda prevented Yosef from being killed wasn't stated because he wants to be able to take uh, Yosef back to his father. To the country. He wanted a Salem. So he'd get far from his father. Especially considering that Yehuda was the person who had the potential to take Yosef back to his father. <laughs> like later on, Rashi tells us, when they confronted Yosef, not knowing that he is Yosef, the brothers speak to Yehuda and say, you could have advised us to take him back to, to our father. We would have listened. So, Reuven has, has got much more noble intention. Let's take him back. Number two, what exactly did Yehuda say when he said, let's not kill our brother? He didn't just say, morally, let's not kill him. He said, what's the value? What money will we make from not killing our brother? The fact that Yehuda prevented them from killing Yosef is it's because you're not going to benefit in any way from having killed him. That's why he advised, let's sell Yosef on Fadin and Mom, and we'll get money from that. So Yehuda doesn't seem to have the most noble intentions. Whereas Ruvain wanted to take Yosef back. As the Pasuk says clearly, he wanted to save Yosef from his brother's hands, to be able to take him back to his father. So in the context of saving Yosef's life, Ruvain seems to play a much more noble role. Secondly, let's look at the tshuva and acknowledgement. So Yehuda admits, I was wrong, Tamar is right, don't kill her. Number one, he only makes that admission once. Okay, it's a big deal because it's public, but it's once. More importantly, let's assume he wasn't willing to admit. What would the outcome be? He would be directly responsible for the killing of a woman who's not really guilty and the baby she's carrying. 
As moving as you thought, Gemul's made the sign. Obviously, he had no choice. He had to admit. If he had one strand of decency inside of him, he had to admit to what happened. That keg and by Reuven. Now let's compare that to Reuven's form of tshuva. Aleph is the tshuva given in Reuven as kama vechama yoren nochdem ot el smamshik even tshuvaton. It wasn't a once-off. It was an ongoing teshuva process for years, and we can prove it. Because Yosef was sold approximately nine years after the incident for which Reuven was doing teshuva, and there the Torah tells what this Rashi tells us. He was still engaged with Saka Vatanisa. Base second of all, Chuvas is given an anoifim for an asuk bekasha besaka vetanisa. Look at the extreme teshuva. He doesn't just say words. I was wrong. He's in a state of personal mourning. And Gimel, lastly, dipiula from Bilbo Yitzyaviv. The idea that he interfered with his father's plans is given Kapirashashi Vatova El Banima. Came from a very noble place. He stood up for his mother's shame. Why did he do it? Because he honored his mother, which is a which is a value, which is a good thing. To the extent that it's not even considered to be something inappropriate. As Rashi tells us almost immediately, the Torah immediately tells us that all the brothers are equal. And they're all righteous. Ruven didn't sin. That's why Rashi says that even at the time that he is being, so to speak, called out on his behavior, he is still called the firstborn. And in spite of the fact that what he did was not so earth-shatteringly bad, wasn't potentially killing a, an, an innocent party, and he still did massive tshuva. In that case, it really makes no sense. How can it be that Yehuda saving the lives of Yosef and, and of Tamar? And how could that put Yehuda on a pedestal beyond Reuven? That Reuven deserves to lose being the king and now Yehuda deserves to become the king. So in order to understand that, we have to look at and let's go back to what Yaakov said to Reuven as the motivation, why he lost his titles. Because you were unstable like water. Rashi explains Yaakov's intention was what caused you to lose all of these great titles the fact that you were impulsive and very quick to show your anger therefore you won't get these additional titles you won't get to be the king and the kohen and what is it that you did that was so impulsive and so angry Rashi explains in the next part of the Pasuk the fact that you interfered with Yaakov's personal life. Now from Hemshech, let's show Rashi's move on. If you watch the sequence of how Rashi explains what, his, what the Pasuk is saying, it becomes clear as the the fact, the reason why Reuven did not get all these accolades and titles that were coming to him is need the etzim pi'ulafun was not because of the action he did. The action we can defend. He cares about his mother. We, we, it's not an Avera. He doesn't lose his status because of that. It's the impulse and the anger that went with the action. That's the problem. That anger turned him to behave in a particular way. But it's not the action that's the problem. It's the sentiment that's the problem. Does says, but then was Yaakov's magnum of Madgish Bazunda de Mechasorn from Pachas Kamai. 
The fact that Rashi, uh, sorry, the fact that Yaakov first highlights, Reuven, you know what your issue is? You're unstable and easily angered like water is unstable. Land Rashi arose from that Rashi derives as in from that the Torah wants us to know that in the incident that occurred with Ruvain and the bed of Yaakov, there are two elements. Out of the Etzim Bilbul, the action that he did that interfered with his father's lifestyle, or Beis was also given an from Pachas Kamayim, and secondly, the sentiment that drove it, the fact that it was this instability and this easy to anger. Because there were two elements to it, there were two consequences for it. The fact that he got involved in his father's private life, which, he, which, which was wholly inappropriate. As a result of that, he lost his right to be the Bechor in terms of the tribes. In other words, to have two tribes come from his children. As the Pasuk in Divrei Yomim we quoted before says, Because he messed up his father's setup, that's why the Bechor was given away. As we already identified, Rashi already quoted this all the way back in Vayishlach, that the Bechor was given away. That's because of the action that he did. But because he was so angry and agitated about it, he was quick to anger. Because of that, he lost the other titles. That's what made him lose the additional elements he could have had in his life to be a Kohen, to be a king. Now, why is that? The Birindem explanation is that there's a big difference between being a Bechor versus being a Kohen or a king. What's the difference? The whole greatness of being a king or a koyen is in relation to others. It has to do with how you deal with other people. A king's job is to lead the people, care for the people, to care for the needs of his, of his citizens, etc. Here, in this context, Rashi applies that principle to the idea of being this lion cub. What does Rashi say? How The person is going to lead and bring the Jews in and out of the situations they have to face. If Korarov, when he speaks about the crouching lion, he says, It's his responsibility to allow people to live in a state of plenty and tranquility. So a king is there for the people. Likewise, to be a kohen is one of the main things of being a kohen. Which Rashi highlights right here, where he speaks about the word seis is, blessing the people. In addition to which, by the way, in the halachas of Torah, part of the responsibility of a, of a kohen is to learn Torah with Yidin. The estate, as the Pesach says, you come to the kohen to clarify halacha. They'll tell you what the Torah says about scenarios. And you follow the Torah, the day will instruct you. Whereas to be a firstborn is something that is valuable to the person for themselves. The Bechor gets double inheritance. That's for him, not for others. That will explain the two elements we're talking about. 
The fact that, as Rashi points out, it's that agitation, that ease of becoming angry, that instability. Regardless of how he perceived the way things should work, that Yaakov should live now permanently with Leah, which might be appropriate as a concept. As Baim Givorin, the fact that they're translated into anger, and anger means something that impacts another person. And he very quickly acted on that anger. And therefore did something that affected another person. He moved his father's bed out of um, the tent of Bila. That's behavior which is exactly the opposite of the behavior of caring for what the other person needs and looking out for the other person. So the natural consequence, like all consequences in Torah which suit the behavior, he lost the opportunity to have roles that are about caring for the other people because he's illustrated that he's too quick to do things that might compromise other people. Whereas the actual fact of what he did to his father's family set up which reflects a misguided perspective that he had that from, from his urge to honor his mother as he said is it right then that my mother's maidservant should now become her so to speak competition in the family and therefore he believed that his father's bed belonged in, in Leah's tent that wasn't something, that part of the process hadn't yet affected anybody else. That part of the process affected him. His thinking was misguided. For that, he lost something that related to him and to his value. He lost the full rights to be the Bechayra. And that actually explains why, from the perspective of Rashi, which is the perspective of the simplest understanding of the Pasuk, he doesn't actually lose the rights to be the Bechor altogether. As he still remains the Bechor in terms of his own personal receiving of inheritance. It's just that some element of the Bechari was taken from him, that his children are not going to split into two Shvatim. Whereas the rights to be a queen and a king were taken from him completely. Why is that? Because when you analyze what Ruvain did to his father's bed, it's not such a massive terribly misguided thing. Because his motivation was to protect his mother's, uh, his mother's um, dignity. To the extent Rashi says it wasn't even a chet. And even at the time that it was unfolding, he was still called the Bechor. And recognizing that it wasn't as it should have been, he did tshuva in a very serious way for a very long time. That's why he didn't lose the Bechorah completely, only in terms of how it impacts the structure of the Shvatah. 
Das ist das Wort, was die Jesse von Malchus ist abgegeben geworden zu Jehuda, zu dem, was mit Teref Benialis ist. Und jetzt wissen wir, dass Reuven diese schönen Motivationen hat und er wirklich schöne Dinge macht. Aber der Fakt ist, wenn es um andere Menschen geht, ist er nicht so auf dem Ball, wie er sein sollte. He's quick to anger, he's quick to, to make decisions that impact other people. So he loses the rights to roles that impact other people. Yehuda miterif b'ni Alisa, because of the way that he behaved when people's lives were imperiled. Now we see why he gets this, at least the role of being a king. Agamas by Reuven is given aggressor, might be by Yodun Kenal, even though as we've described, Reuven had sentiment and dedication that was beyond what Yehuda had. But the chilek between Meteor and Yosef and Yehuda and Reuven, there's a very important distinction between how Reuven and Yehuda both behaved towards saving Yosef. The reality is, whichever way you cut it, Yehuda actually saved lives. At the time, the brothers wanted to kill Yosef. Yehuda stopped them by saying, what's the value? doesn't matter what the motivation is. And maybe we're going to make money. The fact is, he stopped him from being killed. The first step was they took him out of the pit, which was dangerous in its own right because it had snakes and scorpions. Likewise, by saying she is correct and I am wrong, he practically stopped Tamar from being killed. So in terms of what he actually did for the next person, he did good for the next person. By Reuven, whereas when you look at Reuven's story, there's no question that Reuven's intentions were more pure than Yehudas. He wasn't looking for money. He wanted to take Yosef back to his father. And his tshuva was more profound than Yehudas. Those both reflect advantages of Reuven as Reuven. And they speak that there's, they, don't, they don't speak to an impact on somebody else's life. The fact that he said, let's not kill Yosef, let's throw him into the pit. With his beautiful intention to be able to get Yosef back home, that tells us his intentions are absolutely pure. But what came out of it in practice? Yosef was still in danger. He might have starved there in the pit. No, boy. He just said, "Don't physically harm him." Especially when you consider that putting Yosef on Reuven's advice into the pit actually did endanger his life because there were snakes and scorpions. Even though you could claim from a simple understanding of the pasuk that Reuven was unaware of the fact that there was danger in the pit. So he is not actually liable for it. But the fact is that Ruvain made decisions that actually put Yosef's life in danger with all the best intentions. And then let's look at the amazing truth that Ruvain did, which is truly commendable. That every single day he spent time mourning and grieving and doing truth for what he did wrong. His intense tshuva doesn't help somebody else. Not only does it not help somebody else. Nochmer, here is the amazing thought about this. Scary thought. 
Then Reuven von Nitgif and also Gebetzakavetani say based on Mechiras Yosef, let's assume that Reuven had not been involved in his intense tshuva at the time that Yosef was being sold. Maybe he could have been there at the time and maybe he could have come up with a strategy to save Yosef. Just as earlier he had convinced his brothers not to kill Yosef, maybe he could have convinced them not to sell him. And he could have actually taken him home, which was his intention. But because Reuven at that time was absorbed in his own crisis, sure, it was very elevated, admirable things that he was involved in. Intense trivia. But the bottom line is he was in, involved with himself. That caused Yosef to be sold. That's why it's specifically Yehuda's actions to preserve other people's lives. The fact that he put himself on the line for somebody else. In Shaykhaz Mitat Solofon Atzveten to save somebody else is Abavaiz Azer Zorila Malchus. That indicates he's the right person who should be a king. Mashenkin Ruven, unlike Ruven, was the Gaydel Ho'ilu Yifun Zanchuva Vechule Zamaila Farzech. Yes, Ruven is a very spiritual person who's on a very deep self modification path of Chuva. That's Roy Lebcher Bechlalo Benit Tzuzain Roy Lemlucha. That tells me he's a Bechor, he's, he's a unique human being who deserves to be seen in, in, in a, an appreciated light. But he's not a leader. And that helps us understand why Rashi feels we have to know not only about the fact that Yehuda saved Yosef, but also that he saved Tamar. Yaakov is illustrating to us over here the advantage that Yehuda has over Reuven. That's why he's becoming a king. The, being, the, the royalty was given from Reuven to Yehuda. Why? Because by Reuven we find that there are two elements. Sein Velen Ratven Yosef. He wants to save Yosef. That is his intention. And he wants to do tshuva for what he wronged his father by moving his, his bed. So you can assume if Yaakov wants to illustrate Yehuda's advantage over Reuven, and Reuven has two areas of advantage, then there must be two areas of emphasis that Yaakov is making about Yehuda. What are they? That is not involved in himself, He's involved in the next person. And it plays out in two ways. Two different stories. Just like Reuven had two different ways. One that shows his incredible intentions and one that shows his incredible tshuva. The lesson is powerful and fairly obvious. They wrote from them of Venice Bepashtas. A Jewish person cannot be satisfied if they're only engaged in their own personal development. It's as, if not more important, to engage in love of the next person, in to do good for another Jew. Beyond that, because as we know, Avas Yisrael is the entire Torah encapsulated in a particular behavior. So perhaps you're not at that great level of the next guy. 
Was ist ein ganzer Reingeton in Tonle Alia, obwohl ich schlimme Satz mache? You're not a Ruvain, you're not totally involved in Sakavatanisa and constantly upgrading yourself and growing spiritually with all the beautiful intentions. You're not like that. But as long as you are obsessed with helping another person, you're engaged with the entire Torah. Noch mehr ist das Bild in der Tzoyz von die zwei Hagos von Ruven und Yehuda, and you see this clearly in the results. Results always tell you the truth of a story. Durch dem was Ruven also kann übersagen wird, Tanisai, as a direct result of the fact that Ruven was so involved in his deep spiritual development, is given an Efshem Mechiras Yosef. That led to the possibility of Yosef being sold into slavery. Which brought Yaakov and his family down into Mitzrayim so that Golos Mitzrayim could happen. Which became the beginning of every kind of Golos. Why? Because Reuben was focused on personal growth. By contrast, Yehuda's care for Tamar that she should not be destroyed. She shouldn't be killed. Even though it wasn't as deep and sincere and developed and spiritual as Ruvain's Shuvah. The direct result of that is a way out of the Golos. So Ruvain's self-absorbed spiritual development causes Golos. And Yehuda's focus on the next person, which is not so deep and spiritual and, 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 and so impressive, solves Golos. Because through them is given given parrots. Because he kept Tamar alive, therefore Peretz was born. Which is the beginning of the lineage of David HaMelech, until eventually the ultimate descendant of David HaMelech, which is Mashiach, about whom the Pasuk says, The one who bursts through all barriers, emerges from them, alluded to in the word Peretz, the Goyal Acharon, the ultimate Redeemer, who will break down all the barriers of Golos and bring in the Gula, and will bring the ultimate Gula, may it happen immediately.